Welcome to Closer to Christ, the sermon podcast from St. Paul's Lutheran Church and The Bridge in Muskego, Wisconsin. You can learn more about our ministries at stpaulmuskego.org. And now for this week's message. So we're in a pondering mode, a thinking mode, a praying mode today in our, in our lives and in our worship. As we do so, we finish our fifth week of camping. We've been camping with the Israelites, by God's grace, only five, day, five weeks for us, not 40 years like they. Five weeks for us. Today we pick up in Numbers 21. And I'll say this again in the course of the, of, of the sermon, but Numbers 21 is 38 years after last week. So we fast-forwarded through 38 years of camping in the, de- in the desert and in the wilderness. Okay, Numbers 21. And this account is the account, the account of the fiery serpents, which we may have thought, isn't, wasn't that a Sunday school lesson to teach us something? But no, it's history. So it's my first time ever preaching on Numbers 21, 4 through 9. Let's kept, kept, catch up with Israel. They traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom. Edom was a nation southeast of the land of Canaan. But the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread, there is no water, and we detest this miserable food. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them, and they bit the people. And many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. The Lord said to Moses, Make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. This is the very words of our God. Dear friends in Christ Jesus, does it ever feel like God has lost his way when it comes to to loving us. Maybe in your life you've had kind of a map, maybe even a treasure map about how your life would go, where you wanted to be, how you wanted to get there. It'll be awesome. But God hasn't been following the script. God keeps allowing things into your life that you would never choose. I remember a kid back in high school who was entering his junior year to be the star running back, the the, the leader on the team and a leader on campus, until he shattered his leg in football practice in August. Missed that year and never played again. I think he looked to heaven and said, Lord, that wasn't in the plan. Isn't cancer supposed to be for other people and I just pray about them? Lord, I have kids. I'm young. I didn't plan on this, Lord. What are you doing? 
loses their job after 38 years with the same company? I'm too old to start over. God, what's going on here? What do I need to do? Lord, I know I sinned against you and against people, others. And I know I hurt your heart and I hurt them. And I know you are the one who let me get caught. But Lord, this is going to destroy my life. Do you have to be this harsh? Does God ever get lost in his loving of us? This question, would it be a good idea for God to take away the consequences of our sin in this life or to take away the struggles of life itself? Would that be a good idea? People shaking their heads. You know, in human experience, the struggle is good. The struggle is good. And we, would we want God to be any different? We have phrases like, no pain, no gain. It works well for lifting weights, being a better athlete, losing some weight, and also character building as we learn through our failures. This last Tuesday, one of the local TV channels had another segment on their Drive Safe Milwaukee, trying to slow people down on, their, on the streets of, of, of the city of Milwaukee. And they interviewed a man who had not been in downtown Milwaukee in a long, 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 long time. And he just happened to drive down there. And a police officer thought he was speeding. He didn't think he was. But he got a $300 ticket. But he said on camera, the hardest thing is people don't recognize the thousands of dollars in increased insurance of premium for like a long time in your life. And they shared this man's pain, hoping that the rest of us would gain and how about if somebody commits premeditated murder? That means they thought about it in advance. Who, what, when, and why. And how. Somebody commits premeditated murder have life in prison or should there be parole ever? Interesting discussion for people to have. How about your three-year-old? Should the three-year-old ever have a timeout in the corner? Or does the three-year-old rule the roost with the idea that someday life will knock him down a notch or two? Not in my house. Would we ever want God to withhold the consequences of our sin or the struggles of our life? Now, the children of Israel thought for sure that God had lost it out there in the wilderness, in the desert. They had been camping for 40 years. Now, remember when they were, they were leaving Mount Sinai, the promised land, this is 38 years later, because remember, the, tens, the 12 spies had gone north into the land of Canaan to, to spy on the land and bring back great news about the land that God was going to give them. And instead, 10 of them came back and said, whoa, chill here, really high walls and thick and tall people, we can't win. And Joshua and Caleb tried to rein the people back, get them to trust in God. The people rebelled, and God said, okay. 38 more years in the wilderness, this entire generation will die. I'm going to bring the next one, the next generation in to take the land. And God spent 38 years training his people to the east. There was a Canaanite king, the king of Arad. 
who attacked and God wanted to completely destroy his army. What would be the capital city of the kingdom of Israel? Sniffing it. And God said, whoa, roll back the presses, back up the bus, we're going south. And Israel's like, what? We just got here. But you see, God was a God of, is a God of integrity. And God had made a promise to the nation of Edom. Edom was the descendants of Esau, the twin brother of Jacob, who was the father of the Israelites. And God had promised to Esau that Esau's descendants, they too would have a land of their own. Edom was it. And God told, his, told Moses, I'm not going to let you guys conquer Edom. They have that, that land is theirs. And so Israel, Israel walks up, Edom knocks on the door and says, hey, we would like to come through your land. We'll pay you for any water we drink or anything that we eat. And the Edomites are like, no way, back off. And out, out came their army to fight Israel. And God said, back up the bus, this ain't happening, we're going south. Which meant more months in the desert and 250 more miles after 40 years of camping in the desert. But the straw that broke the camel's back, again, was the food. As I was reading, you probably thought, hey, Pastor Nate is reading the same text as two weeks ago. Just sounds like it. That was 38 years ago. The food. Now, again, as Mike pointed out, we can't be too harsh on Israel. Imagine, imagine, imagine if God said, for the next 40 years, Tom, for the next 40 years, Culver's Chicken Tenders, and those little honey rolls from Honey Butter Cafe every day for 40 years. Might we whine just a little bit? So 40 years of this manna and quail in the desert, they're sniffing on the doorstep of Jerusalem, and Moses says, back up, we're leaving. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the desert? We have nothing but this miserable food, and we're back to this, kill me now. Now why? Why did God say back up the bus? Well, again, because God's a God of integrity. He always does the right part. God was training his people. This is how the people of God live. Back up the bus Trust me. You see, the road to heaven is, is, is a, is a, can be a long journey, this life. And God says, I'm going to give you the promised land. Trust me along the way. Next question. Should God do whatever it takes to get us safely home to heaven? Let me ask that again. Should God do whatever? it takes to get us safely home to heaven. You see, rebellion is the heart that becomes who I am. That separates me from God in this life and forever in this place called hell. That's not good. And we don't even like to talk about that much. But it's real. Should God do whatever it takes to bring us safely home to him? Ask the family who, who just recently uh, confronted dad with an intervention over his alcoholism. 
Dad, your alcohol is hurting you and it's hurting us. And we're not enabling you anymore. It is going to stop because you're part of this family and we love you and we are not going to lose you to the bottle. Ask the mom who's praying dangerously. Her son has gotten in the wrong crowd the last couple years and his, his, his physical life, his spiritual life, his earthly life is starting to crumble down and in upon him. And she has begun to pray boldly Lord God in heaven, do whatever it takes to save my boy. Not just for this life, but for eternal life. Lord, whatever it takes, do it. So God in love, God in love sent snakes. Why snakes? Well, for 40 years, God had wrapped his arms around his people as they traveled and as they camped, his cloud of power and might over their heads to keep enemies away, the pillar of fire at night to give them comfort. For 40 years, there had not been snakes in the camp like this. Oh, someone may have died of a snake bite somewhere on the outside of camp. That could have happened. But never before had snakes come into the camp. And instead, God had caused cold, rushing water to pour out of a rock in the middle of the desert to give two million people water. He had caused manna to appear on the ground in the morning dew every morning for 40 years. And at night, the breeze would blow and the quail would come in and feed the people. And then Moses would remind Israel in Deuteronomy 29 of this really cool thing. That for 40 years, their clothes never wore out. Their sandals never ran thin. So they didn't need those 30% off postcards in the mail to Kohl's and your $10 Kohl's cash and you run there after church. They didn't need that for 40 years. And all of a sudden it's like, God, we're tired of this food. You're a lousy caretaker. We should just die here. And so God, in love, pulls back the protecting arms for a moment. And the snakes come in. And just like that, they understood his blessings and his care for them. Why snakes? As we think about that and ponder that, what do you think about God's parenting skills after 40 years? Trying to teach his people to trust him no matter what was coming, the way or the how? How good is God, how well is God doing in this parenting? Well, think about this. 38 years before, the walls were too high. We can't take the cities. In about a, in about a few months, they were going to go up the right side of Canaan into the heart of, of Israel, Canaan, at, at, at a place called Jericho. And in a couple months, God was going to say to his Old Testament people this almost crazy-sounding thing. He would say, Joshua... Tell the people on the first day to march the army around the city once and then go back and have a beer. Day two, march the army around the city. Go back, spend some time with your kids for six days in a row. Seventh day, God said, march the army seven times around the city with the priests leading the way. 
and the word of God and the Ark of the Covenant. And after the seventh time, blow the trumpets, and I will make the walls fall down flat, the Hebrew says. And they did it, and he did. It happened. God's training. This is part of that training. 38 years before, they had said, oh, the descendants of Enoch are there. Tall people, over nine feet tall, we can't win. Well, in a few months, they'd enter the promised land of Canaan, and they would defeat every army that came their way, no matter their stature. And 400 years later, there'd be this little shepherd boy named David who would become king of Israel, who would walk up to a really tall guy named Goliath, and Goliath would look at him and say, do you come at me with sticks and stones? I will feed you to the birds. And David said, I come to you in the name of the Lord, God Almighty of Israel, and this day he will give me your head. And God did. Training. For 40 years, David remembered. But did you know this is the coolest training? That the Israelites spoke themselves. They said, Moses, we have sinned against the Lord and we have sinned against you. Pray to the Lord that he would save us. God had trained his people to own our sin. To own our sin before God and say, Lord, forgive me for Jesus' sake, we say. And they prayed, have the Lord take it away. And the Lord did. The Lord did. Adam, hold off just a second. I'll give you a signal. Next question. We asked this at Min Team. Why a snake on a pole? I'm told that the Chosen series does a nice job of showing this when it's portraying John 3. That Moses is telling the craftsmen to, to make this bronze snake to put on the pole. And Joshua comes in and says, Moses, what are you doing? People are dying. And Moses is like, hey, the Lord said do it. We're doing it. And then Joshua takes that out on the, on the pole and puts it among the people. And Moses says, look to the snake on the pole and you will live. It would take faith to believe that a snake on a pole would help. Faith in the part of Moses, of Joshua, and the people. But why a snake on the pole? Think about this. God took the very thing that was causing them pain and that was connected to their sin, and he put it up on the pole and says, trust me in your suffering, and I will save you. A snake on a pole. Why a snake on a pole? Well, Jesus needed a teaching tool for 1,400 years later. You see, in John 3, Jesus says this to a man named Nicodemus. He says, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness so the Son of Man must be lifted up, 
that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Why a snake on a pole? Because the snake on the ground was the source of their pain that came from their sin, and God put it on a pole and saved them with his promise. So God took his son, who had no sin in himself, and he made him our sin. He made him our pain, and he put him up on a pole called the cross. And there Jesus died for our sins to give us eternal life. And God says, look at the man with your sin on the cross dying for you. Look at him in faith and you will live. God was thinking 1,400 years ahead of time. And now look at the cross and notice that it's empty. Why a snake on a cross? Why a man with our sin on the cross? So that you and I can look at the empty cross and remind ourselves that Jesus said from that cross, it is finished. The payment for sin is done. And so we never have to be afraid of our God when there's struggle in life and trouble in life as though God is taking revenge on us or hating on us. No, it is finished. The cross is empty. Salvation through faith in Jesus. There's a neat story that some of us recently were privileged to hear. It's a made-up story, I'm sure, but it's still pretty cool. The story goes like this. There was a man out walking on the beach one day in the fog. And with the fog, you couldn't see the water, you couldn't see the beach. You couldn't see ahead of yourself. You couldn't see ahead of yourself. And as the man's walking along, he comes upon a young man who is flying a kite. And he asks the young man, how do you know that the kite's up there? And the young man says, well, I can feel the tug whenever the wind blows. Isn't that a great picture for us as Christians, as believers in this world? Every day that we live our lives, we feel the tug of our God. When times are good and the blessings are obvious, we say, praise God Almighty, He's bringing us home to heaven, and today is a good day, and we feel the tug. But on the hard days, with the bad news and the struggles of life. We fall to our knees and there's a tug from heaven as God says, pray to me, ask me. We say, Lord, why? And the Lord says, trust me. I'm bringing you to the promised land. I'm bringing you home to heaven. Trust me. Do you feel the tug? And then Jesus said to us in John chapter 10, as the, as the good shepherd role, he says, I will give them eternal life and no one will snatch them out of my hand. No matter what's happening in this life, Jesus is your anchor in eternal life. And nothing will change that because the cross is empty. But between now and that day, we get to fly a kite in the fog. <laughs> 
We can't always see the how and the why, but Jesus is tugging with his promises, with his love, and his purpose. In all things, I am working for your good. Do you feel the tug? Dear friends, through patient endurance, we will see the kingdom of heaven in all its glory, in all its power, in all its love. And God's people whisper, amen. We pray. Father in heaven, some days in this world, this world can seem very dark. There is so much hatred and pain out there in the world, and there is so much pull of sin in my own heart that the darkness just seems to be all around me and to overwhelm me. But help me to never forget that in the darkness of it all. The light of your gospel of your son Jesus is shining brightly into my heart and will never dim. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that you have given us your son Jesus to be the snake on the pole, the man on the cross, the cross that is empty, to remind us that we have life eternal and we never face your anger. We never face your vengeance. We always have your love. And we always have your promises. And we always feel your tug. Heavenly Father, we pray boldly today in the name of Jesus, our Savior. And we ask you to always do whatever it takes to bring us safely home to you. May we never lose our focus. Forgive us when we whine. Forgive us when we complain. Right the ship. Help us walk again with you. And always remind us of our Savior, Jesus and the light that shines into the darkness of this world, into the darkness at times in my heart, with the forgiveness of sins, the promise of life, the promise of love, and the promise of a home forever with you. Thank you for being the light of the world. Thank you for being our snake on the pole. And now let us join our hearts and our voices and our faith together in one as we pray the prayer our Savior taught us. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. And now receive with believing hearts the blessing of our God. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with his favor and give you his peace. And together, God's people shout, Amen. Thanks for joining us on the Closer to Christ Sermon Podcast from St. Paul's Lutheran Church and The Bridge in Muskego, Wisconsin. 
Closer to Christ podcasts are from our current sermon series and are released every Monday morning. For live stream services and other ministry information, please visit us online at stpaulmuskego.org.